0: We're going to finish up the, the special teaching we we're doing this morning on evangelism. I thought we'd start with Psalm One. Psalm One. The reason I, I thought we'd start with Psalm One is because I was thinking of uh, I, I like to put I like to understand modern culture, culture whether it's modern or not, and. In studying American culture, what I do is I, I watch movies. Uh, some people just watch movies for recreation, but I watch movies and take them apart to understand worldview and what people are thinking, and because media is a, a really big thing today. So uh, there's a, a movie called What About Bob? And Bob is seeing his psychiatrist for the first time, and he says, There are two kinds of people in the world those who like Neil Diamond. Those who don't. Those who like Neil Nightingale, and those who don't. <laughs> uh, those who like those who don't. <laughs> two kinds of people, in the world. and I I think that there are two kinds of people in the world. So let's read Psalm One, with <laughs> understanding that there are two kinds of people in the world. Somebody want to read out Psalm One? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by, by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf is not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Amen. So what you see contrasted in the opening psalm of the book of Psalms are uh, two kinds of people. Contrasted is the righteous and the wicked. And we like to not think of ourselves as, as living in a wicked world, but we do live in a wicked world. Um, the, the world as it's when we see the the world's contrast to the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world um, we see a similar type analogy that it starts with the person in the heart but it gets expressed into the corruption of everything that exists ultimately and so that there are two systems or two viewpoints worldviews, um, one that believes God And loves him and draws near to him and ultimately lives with him forever. And those that don't, they don't believe God, they uh, don't uh, love him, they don't obey him, and ultimately their way is destruction. And I'd like to to think that everybody that's sitting in this room today is on a path of righteousness and not a path of destruction. Because there are uh, two roads. Jesus said, you know, narrow is the gate that leads to life, but broad is the gate that leads to destruction. And all of us at one time were on this broad path, and it seemed right to us. Um, But at some point in our life, that changed, and we got on a different path. You can think of it as a narrow path, but it's a path that the end of it is life. It's actually being in God's presence um, where he fully accepts us, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And that we embrace him as he embraces us. So that's life. But there are those that are not going to be in that position and those that's what we're here to learn about today how can we be effective in reaching those people that are lost because as joyful as we are in our salvation the world is sad they're sinful alienated and dead that's the the natural state of humanity today is sad and We are sent as uh, missionaries, if you will, uh, ambassadors to the world, which is a foreign country for us now. It's not our kingdom. We now have a citizenship in a new kingdom. And our kingdom is the kingdom of God. But we're sent into the world to present uh, an alternative to death, which is life. And all of us experienced that at some point. Somehow the message came to us. How many in here came to Christ um, just totally on their own? Just one day they had never heard anything about God, the Bible, Jesus, any of this stuff, right? And you just, one day the idea came into your head, you know, I think I'm in a terrible place and I I need a God, and then you picked up Bible and read it and came to salvation. How many of you in here would put, place yourself in that category? I didn't think so. <laughs> so what that means is that the message was brought to you and that's what we're here to do. We're here to bring the message, the good news. Um, how many of you were saved before you were 12 years old? Anybody? Anybody? How about save before you were eighteen years old? Keep your hands up. Those who saved before. You it. <laughs> How about save before you were twenty years old? Okay, so most of the room has their hands raised. Um, there was some research done by uh, George Barna. This is old research, but it's still applicable. That the probability of accepting Christ is highest among kids under fourteen that uh, at the time that this was done in uh, the early 2000s, and things have changed a little bit, um, people from the ages of 5 through 13 have a 32% probability of accepting Christ as their Savior. Young people from 14 to 18 have a 4% likelihood of doing so, while adults aged 19 through death have only a 6% probability. So, it tells you how important the message is to go out, and to go out early, right? So, today, if you were to look at the, uh, the most effective um, communicator of that message, it is not the family, which is where you would think that it would be. You would think that the, the message, if it the, primary group of people that are being saved, come into a saving relationship, are under 20 years old, you would think the family would have the most significant influence on that, that they would be the bringers of the message. But actually, that's not true. It's friends and co-workers. So, how many of you in here are a friend or a coworker? <laughs> <laughs> how about a neighbor? Well, that would be a friend, <laughs> <laughs> right? <How about> neighbor. <laughs> By, and we'll to place and we'll to to church we we'll there's another one yep. and that's 10 years later I and that's how the message is going out today rather than through families which is what has happened in the past so the statistic about when people come into a saving relationship hasn't changed a whole lot although in modern times it tends to be skewed a little bit more towards the young, just because it's very difficult for older people to get saved today. Um, But instead of the family being the primary message carrier, now friends, neighbors, co-workers are the primary message. So I'm gonna, with that said, I'm going to uh, uh, review the cultural onion. Before I review the cultural onion, I guess I should review the message. So uh, we last, two weeks ago, we talked about what is the gospel. Who can tell me what the gospel is and where it's found? Anybody? First Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. Yep. And the gospel message is, how would you say the gospel message in, in one or two sentences? How would you say it? Uh, Jesus... Uh... Came. Yep. He died. He arose, and so yeah. So there's a couple pieces that are yeah. that are yeah. missing from there, yeah. and a couple pieces yes. that are assumed. We're going to talk about the assumptions, and we're going to talk about the pieces that are missing. So um, the assumption is is that there is a God. So if you're uh, talking to a person who has no belief in any kind of a supreme being, um, they would be in this one category of uh, persons today that, um, I guess she could say there are two kinds of people, those who believe in God and those who don't, or those who believe in the true God and those who don't, right? Those who don't believe in God, what are, they, what are their assumptions about the world, that's all there is. That that's all there is. That's right. So, death, although it may be something to be avoided, um, just means annihilation. It's like going to sleep but not waking up. And certainly you don't want to be in that position, but it really has no consequence associated with it. Which is why suicide can be an option. Right? It's avoiding pain. Pain is to be avoided. Death doesn't seem that bad, it's just being annihilated. Um, the uh, fundamental questions about worldview which I always categorize as question of origins, where do we come from question of purpose why are we here question of uh, what went wrong problem of evil, why is it not the way it's supposed to be and question of personal destiny what, what does this mean to me, where am I going those are fundamental questions of worldview that everybody wants to answer well if you don't believe in God where did things come from? Big Bang. Big bang. Yeah, well, where did the Big Bang come from? Well, it must all be part of the system that always existed. So Carl Sagan, the great naturalist, made the statement, the cosmos, all there is, all there ever was, all there ever will be, he's dead now, by the way, so he knows differently. But the idea that um, there is no origin, or that life can come from non-life, Even though it's never been evidenced anywhere in the universe. Um, So that's one of the assumptions. What about purpose? There is no purpose. If there is no God, there is no ultimate uh, authority about the way things should be or the way that they're going to be, that there is any kind of a a purpose of where we're going and why we're doing this. Um, There is no purpose. So what that leads into is thought systems or worldviews that are very self-focused. And self-focused philosophy, one of the classics, is existentialism. If you want a, a good modern film on what existentialism looks like, it's a philosophy. There was a movie uh, with Tom Hanks. It was called, uh, what's the one, Karen? I he was on a desert island. Oh, yeah. Castaway. Castaway. And the worldview portrayed there is an existentialist worldview. That things only have meaning and purpose from your own self and definition, what you hold on to. That's important and valuable. And beyond that, there is no purpose. Um, an extreme of existentialism leads to uh, a very self centered view called nihilism. And nihilism is uh, characterized by. In the 1990s by a musician Kurt Cobain uh, with the rock group Nirvana and he basically got to the point where if I am all that uh, has meaning and all that is um, then this has has no meaning at all. It's totally empty. It's void of purpose and he took his own life. Um, There's a lot of philosophers around that idea. Nietzsche is one, So if you don't believe in God, your options for answering the question of origins are very limited. Your options of purpose don't exist. The problem of evil, what went wrong, and why why do I feel like it should be different, um, makes no sense either. Because if you don't have some kind of external moral standard, If you don't have God saying this is right and this is wrong, then your right and wrong is decided by yourself and your people group. And that's it. And if you change people group, they may say something different is right or wrong. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing that in the United States where things that used to be considered wrong and immoral are now considered right and moral and even protected by legislation. Right, that these are rights, civil rights now. Um, that's because they don't believe in God. If they believed in God, they would recognize that there is an external standard of right and wrong, that morality comes from somewhere other than ourselves. So the problem of question of evil is not easily satisfied. You can choose uh, what is good and right in your own eyes. That was the very first temptation that was given to Eve, by the way. If you read the Bible. What Satan came to her and says, you know, God is the judge, right? He declared what is right and wrong. She recited that back to him. So what did Satan say? The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that the day that you eat from it, Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That knowing good and evil means that they would be able to be a judge. They would be able to decide what right was, just like God declares what right is. And that seemed pretty good to the woman, to be wise in that way, to actually be a judge over the moral domain. God didn't make humanity a judge over the moral domain. He said, this is right and this is wrong, and you don't get a, an opportunity to comment on that. You have an opportunity to obey it. You don't have an com- uh, opportunity to comment on it. So if you believe there's no God, there is no, no certainty in moral compass. It's going to change. And ultimately, the destiny that you crave to have, a place in the world, um, does not exist. You have no place. So on Friday night, we were were studying Revelation, and I was, again, talking about Revelation as a a war of the worlds, a contrast of these two kingdoms. And I brought up another movie, which I'm not going to advocate, but it's a movie called Donnie Darko. So those of you, especially in the younger crowd, that have seen the movie Donnie Darko, you wonder, what's this movie about? Well, it's about a teen angst movie about wrestling with the question of purpose and destiny. And what would happen if you could somehow get into an alternate timeline, if you could avoid death? Because nobody wants to be alienated. Nobody wants to be separated. And what we experience in the world is that the ultimate separation is dying. And that uh, the statement made to this guy, Donnie, uh, is that everyone dies alone. That's people's fear. They fear this. They they don't want to be alone. They don't want to face uh, eternity alone. They don't want to be uncertain. And if you're wrestling with the question of destiny, and you don't have God to answer where you came from, why you're here, where you're going, um, what went wrong, then when you get to the question of destiny, all that you can hold on to is that... Everyone dies alone. This is totally senseless and purposeless. That's where most of the world around us is today. Most of the world around us is not in the church. They're not learning about God. They might have some belief in a God of some kind. But really, that's just a way of avoiding really dealing with the the answers to these questions. Because when they seriously ask ask the question, where did everything come from? if they're seriously asking that question, seriously wrestling with it, they're going to come up against information that leads them to believe that there is a creator. And there have been classic examples of that. Um, Lee Strobel, great uh, apologist today, started out as an atheist and he wanted to answer the question of origins. Um, C.S. Lewis, another classic apologist, These are great Christian men that defend the faith. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, passed away the same day that John Kennedy did. Lee Strobel's still alive. Uh, What what happened is, is they honestly asked the questions and started getting answers from people like y'all. They ended up in one place, which is that God exists. So what I would say is that the basic presupposition to the gospel message is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Jesus Christ, first thing is, God exists. And so if someone doesn't believe that God exists, you have to somehow um, address these basic worldview questions and show them how inadequate they are so that they come to the understanding that God exists. Because what I'm going to show you is a simple four-point evangelism. And I'm going to give it to you right now. Um, And some people call this the Romans Road, too. There's another one called the Romans Road. If you want to do it scripturally, I can show it to you. But basically, I'll do it five points, because I always start with God exists. We have a problem. A lot of people would admit we have a problem. Sometimes you have to coach a little bit to get people to admit, yeah, it's a pretty messed up place. We have a problem. There is a consequence for the problem. The consequence in this instance is death. It is appointed once for man to die, and after that comes judgment. The problem is, is that we're separated from God. The consequence is, is that separation leads to death. Third thing is, there's a solution. The solution is, is that Christ died for my sins, according to the scripture, and he was buried. And he was raised on the third day, for my Eternal life or my forgiveness of sins. And that's according to scripture and it was seen by a whole lot of folk. There is a solution. And the fourth uh, point is, is that you need to decide. So point zero, God exists. Point one, we got a problem. Point two, there is a consequence of the problem. Point three, there is a solution, point four, you get to decide what you're going to do with this information. That is how you share the gospel. I mean, you can, you can use biblical language to help you with that. You can, uh, if someone understands that, most people today don't understand the Bible, so they would, you know, you need to be able to express what I just said without using any kind of biblical language there's another way that's called the Romans Road, and if you look at one of the handouts that you got there, I actually present all this stuff. <clears throat> I think the first one this is a divine assignment, and it goes through the presentation of the gospel, which we did two weeks ago. Um, understanding that this is not our job because we created it. It's God's job and he uh, enlists us as his his ambassadors in this. So we're called, but it's an interaction with God. It's information that we need to tell. We do this intentionally and we do it because we understand that it's a lost world. And it always ends in an invitation. And an invitation sometimes is an invitation to come to church uh, or... A concert, you know, that happened with uh, jazz Christmas jazz night. We had people sitting at our table that never wanted to be in a church, Uh, and that they, the churches they had gone to, they compared us to what was it? Jehovah's Witnesses or something? And and they were surprised, like, "Wow, you guys are different. What's different about you?" Um, And then there's the how we do it: four point, problem, consequence, solution, decision and then there's the Romans Road if you're, if you're interested in Romans Road those are the actual scriptures of the Romans Road I, I put there a bridge to life those are uh, I used to use tracks uh, so I'd go down on the transit mall and I'd be hanging out and talking to people people got to know me because I actually did uh, as part of my understanding culture uh, assignments when I was in seminary I actually um, became a street person I became a client that's what they call you. So, uh, Portland Rescue Mission, I would go in, you know, in the morning and stand in line and, and uh, listen to the sermon and eat the meal and then hang out with people afterwards under the bridges. And so, basically, I became a street person for a year, uh, which the reason I chose that particular assignment was because it's very near and dear to my heart. I understood it from that angle already and the loss of. Um, any kind of respect for yourself. And when you lose respect for yourself, the loss of respect for those around you takes, you have to lose something in order to get your meal from a dumpster. Um, So I wanted to understand that culture. And that's when I started putting together uh, the cultural, I've heard it before and you'll see it in many different forms. If you uh, Google uh, cultural onion, You'll see that many people claim this idea. Um, They put different slants on it. Uh, Where it actually came out of was uh, Christian missionology teaching. So how you do missions, how you do cross-cultural ministry is where the idea came from. And the idea is is that uh, people are like onions. Ogres are like onions. Uh, But people are like onions. And that you have that crusty outer layer. A lot of times when you're going to make something with an onion, you peel that off and you throw it away. Because it really doesn't have any value, ultimately, to the life of the onion. protects it a little bit. But that outer layer is things like languages and foods and clothing. It's the behavioral things that you would see, the artifacts that you experience when you come into contact with a culture. Um, and pretty much everybody agrees so I de- I, what I needed to learn was I needed to learn the language of, of the street because there is a language of the street just like there's a language of the church and so if you come to somebody as somebody to share the gospel with them and you're speaking the language of the church they're not going to know what you're saying they may have heard it in a movie <clears throat> but they're not going to know what you're saying because that's not their language so you need to, to understand the culture that you're going into the culture it is, like I work today with engineers, they have a culture, they have a language, they have foods, right? Real men don't eat quiche. <laughs> All these different things and ways that they dress. So today we understand cultural differences between old and young. Well, there have always been cultural differences between old and young. If you want to look at the artifacts of that, you look at things like language, foods, clothing. Uh, music, those kinds of things. Right below that, though, is what I call levels of authority. Levels of authority are, um, there are schools, there are government, there are gangs, there are families. So probably the closest level of authority for most people is their immediate a family. But what's happened is, is that that level of authority has been replaced by other levels of authority, by your gang, by the group that you hang out with at school, which you form at a very early age. becomes much more influential than your family, right? And what a level of authority does is it defines what is right behavior and what is wrong behavior from a cultural perspective. You know, it it was right in my day to have long hair. Hair would be an artifact that somebody would see. But the reason that I displayed that behavior was because of a level of authority, my acceptance groups that said, this is what is right, this is what is expected, this is what is accepted. So that's what levels of authority is. It's right and wrong, it's acceptable unacceptable. This is where our heroes come from. Yes, sir. How long was your hair?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Too
0: long? <laughs> Uh, it, it was mostly down my back. I had a girlfriend who had short hair, and uh, people would see us from behind, they would think that she was the guy and I was the girl. <laughs> uh, and that didn't bother me. It was long, silky, fine hair. And I'd tie a ponytail and get it out of the way when I was working on cars. I, sh- I should bring in a picture. I have a picture of me. I was, wanted to be a motorhead, but I wasn't a motorhead person. So I would sitting there, you know, all greasy, working on cars in my jumpsuit and long ponytail. So that was me. You wouldn't recognize me. <laughs> Karen says she would never marry me. <laughs> <laughs> don't they, don't and the don't reason why she wouldn't mind. marry me is because her <laughs> levels of authority mm-hmm. were different than my levels of authority. Mm-hmm. My levels of authority was more of a street level authority. Mm-hmm. And that um, I understood a little bit more keenly what it meant to survive. In a, in a wicked world. And so my heroes were great thieves, right? Um, and it went on from there. And it expressed itself in the kind of music that I listen to, the way I roll my hair. So all that's levels of authority. And, and what happens is, is that most people, when they start studying culture, that's where they end. They think they understand a the culture because of the levels of authority that are there, the churches and the, the gangs and the, those types of things that define right and wrong and the heroes. But when you get below that, you get into, you've heard me share this before, a shared history. So you get into a history level. And what happens is, is when you move from uh, what your social group, your culture declares as right or wrong, or acceptable or unacceptable, and you move closer to your, your heart, what happens is, is that your values start being expressed and formed. And... Uh, The expression of those values is usually through uh, stories and history. So for example, um, how many of you were around on September 11, 2001? Everybody in here? Uh, You have a shared history of September 11, 2001. You also have a personal history. I wasn't there. Right, those that were there have uh, a different kind of personal history, and we have really close friends that were there, and were supposed to be in the top of that building at that point in time. And by God's grace, we're we're not there. Um, have family members that were affected by that. Um, being working for uh, the army at that point in time, uh, the security posture of the United States did a rapid change right and, and uh, responding to a threat so have a shared history around that I can tell you where I was when I first got news I'm on the 205 bridge going to a Hebrew class um, when I got message that the uh, first plane had flown into uh, World Trade Center and by the time I got to school the second one had hit my personal history are the stories around that, and to help people understand what happens here and values, um, I often tell the story about when I was on my way to from Moscow, Russia to St. Petersburg, Russia, and uh, this was right after the Great Depression that happened in Russia in the early 90s. And they had a Great Depression there; it actually completely changed their government as a result of it. Um, so. I was riding on this train, I was in the third class section at the end of the train, windows wouldn't open, Uh, the Russians were just very calm, would sit there in this stifling heat of of late June on this rail car with no windows, no air circulation, and they would just sit there very calmly. And the Americans were going absolutely nuts, which is what (laughs) Americans do by the way, it's uh, I came to find this out, and that they were pulling out their, you know, uh, Leatherman tools and trying to repair the windows, they even built an airfoil and put it outside the window to channel air from the outside of the train to the inside, Got one of the windows open and they were going to create their own air air conditioning system. And the Russians were just, you know, sitting there very calmly and Americans are going nuts. And so I said, next to this Russian guy, I said, so what do you think of all this? And he says, "Well." In America, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. But in Russia, the nail that stands out gets the hammer. (laughs) And that's when I came to understand that there was a different uh, shared and personal history between Americans and Russians. And that it gave different values to how people uh, viewed the world and how they then interacted with the levels of authority. That's where values express themselves in our personal history story. What you'll see is as you're moving from the outside to the inside of the cultural onion you eventually get to the heart of the onion which you can strip off all these different layers and you get to that final little layer and you'll notice they're all connected to the root. This is the only part that can reproduce in an onion. You can strip off all this stuff, plant that with a little bit of root and you'll have an onion. It's amazing. So the heart is where the life is. That's where our beliefs are about what reality is. That's where our worldview comes from. And it's affected by the personal history stories and shared history stories. And we're about ready to have a shared history story here in about two weeks. Fourth of July is a shared history story. And there are a lot of values around that. You're going to hear all those values trumpeted over the next few weeks. Right? So you're going to see all this stuff. It actually happens all around you. And you're a part of this culture, which is really cool, because you're able to quickly move through the levels of authority and shared history to a personal history, and how people have been affected by that. What about those people that have actually just gotten back from Iraq and Afghanistan? They have personal history that is affected by the shared history. And this is right at the point of contact. This is where we need to make contact if we're going to share a heart uh, belief. right? That there is a God. That he cares. But we're separated from him. We have a problem. And that the problem has a consequence that separation means death. Because if there is only life in God, and that's what my assumption is, is that outside of God there is no life. There is only one who is self-existent. There isn't a bunch of ones that are self-existent. It isn't a bunch of gods. There is one who is God. And that he is a person In the sense that I am a person, created in his image. And that um, in him is life. And that I get straight from the Bible. That's the revelation of God given to me. It's given to me generally in creation. It's given to me specifically through teaching that God is preserved for me to hear. That God exists. There is a problem. I'm separated from him. And the consequence of that is doubt. But there is a solution. God became man. In becoming man, he entered into the problem. And he took that problem upon himself. Such that the consequence of that problem, I can be delivered from. That's the solution. And I desperately wanted that. I desperately wanted that. So it was very easy for me when I got to that point, when somebody was talking right here at this level. And when when somebody was talking to me at this level, I had long hair, I had uh, a drug problem, I had, um, I was a thief, because that's how you live on the street. You take from others that which is not your own. if I had a job and was able to support myself I would have done that but I didn't so I had to take it from somebody else so I was pretty unacceptable to anything outside of my own levels of authority which was most pieces most parts of the world and at that point that's when somebody told me about who God is what he did for me and then It was like very natural for me to say, how can I be saved? What must I do to be saved? And it was really easy. Now, how many of you, if you could get to this gate right here, the gate to the heart, could share the gospel, now that you know it, by telling your own story, telling your personal history, such that a person could hear and respond. And that's the key. We want to be culturally aware so that when we speak, we're not speaking out of a sense of um, compulsion, like this is what um, Jehovah's Witnesses do, right? They have, you know, you have to get so many tracks out, you have to get uh, so many houses visited, uh, get so many people into the kingdom. That's not what it's about. It's not our job to get people into the kingdom. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Our job is to speak the message and to be culturally aware enough to be granted access. Does that make sense? So if you look at that handout that I gave you, that's exactly what it goes through. Um, Let's see, the handout that says Summary of the Gospel. So there's a whole bunch of words on two pages, front and back, which is uh, for those of you that like to know the technical part of the gospel, that's the technical part. Leave that as an exercise. Um, For those of you that like to have a roadmap of how you share the gospel, that's what the the outline is. This is a roadmap. It should say presenting the gospel outline format. Everybody find that so it starts out with uh, an introduction to presentation of the gospel let's let's get acquainted you will spend 99% of your time getting acquainted because you have a whole bunch of stuff to traverse to be able to get uh an invitation to share the gospel because you don't share without an invitation so a lot of people are worried about that well, what if i share the gospel and somebody kicked me out well they're not going to kick you out if they asked you to share the gospel right they might not agree they might um, say well that's not what i believe um, but they're not going to kick you out if they've asked you to share what you believe And so, in order to get asked what you believe, you you have to get to that gate. And you can do it through leading questions. And once you're going through and you're sharing shared history and you're sharing personal history, you can ask a question like, well, do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? That's what got me started in a pool game back when I was 18 years old. Guy just asked me that playing pool, the pool game turned into a three day long run of games because it took me that long to try and go through this elaborate system of, of where things came from, what's the purpose, what went wrong and what my destiny was as a reincarnated thing um, for, it took me that long to explain it to him and he completely when I then asked him the same question so what do, you, do you have any spiritual beliefs? What do you believe? And he shared with me the gospel so succinctly and it answered every question so perfectly that I realized the errors in my own thinking. The things that I had assumed were true that couldn't possibly be true. Right? He didn't have to tell me what was wrong with my thinking. I already knew as soon as he shared the gospel because I asked him. So if you have any kind of spiritual beliefs, who is Jesus Christ? This is a big question today. So, you get people with religious beliefs. The name Jesus means something to them. How do you witness to a Jehovah's Witness? (laughs) You ask them who Jesus is. And they will bring their elaborate defense. And in fact, what they'll do is they'll get their elders, because they'll think, oh, here's someone that's interested. And they'll come and they'll park in your house and they'll do a Bible study with you for weeks and at the end of that they'll say so what do you think who is Jesus they just asked you what you think and now some of them are going to ask because it's part of the formula that they do and they're just trying to get numbers and they're not really sincerely asking what do you believe they're not trying to let you through a gate or exchange with you information across that gate but some are you know they're Jehovah's witnesses that become Christians and the reason they become Christians is because of this question who is Jesus Christ? Do you think there's a heaven or a hell? You're asking a question of eternal destiny, right? So if you've already resolved the problem of evil—that people believe there is moral moral content to the world, that there is a spiritual moral reality, um, and that there is a purpose—then they're going to start putting things into places in their worldview about, well, am I going to end up in this place or am I going to end up in that place? What about heaven and hell? So people that have some religious background that understand the term heaven and hell are gonna start talking about that. Some of them will talk about annihilation right out of the shoot. They'll say, Well, you know, I may may not, you know, get the benefits of somebody who says ten prayers a day, but uh, you know, I'm not a bad person. I don't want to go to hell. And then you have opportunity, you know, what do you think? Are you going to hell? Well, no. Deserve to go to hell, and can then talk about what that means. And in talking about that, you present then the opportunity for them to ask the question So, I don't want to go to hell either. How, how do you get to heaven? What is heaven? Heaven's being present with God. The only way you can do that is by having a relationship with Him. You can't, this isn't like buying a ticket. To imagine that you get to let get through the door because you got the ticket. No, you gotta know the owner. Right? So you have all of these ways through leading questions to get to do I have permission to share the gospel? Ninety-nine percent of the time is spent doing just that. The very first thing. Once you get there, it's very simple to, to lay out, hey, we have a problem. It's very simple to lay out there's a consequence for the problem. And that's what this outline steps you through. For those that, you know, you need a roadmap. It uh, gives you uh, four things the problem. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. God intended it to be different. Something went wrong. All humanity has the same problem. And there are a whole bunch of scriptures there to support that. So if somebody says, Where do you get this information? Right? And say, Well, I believe that the Bible is the Word of God that he gave it to us for a specific purpose because he doesn't want to see us lost. So I paid attention to it, which is what it said. Uh, you get the problem. Consequence. God made no demand the consequence for sin. All sin leads to death. Death is universal because sin is universal. All people will die and be judged. And, and when people get to this point, they already have an understanding of that. So you're not creating new information for them. You're just helping them wrestle through the questions that they already have then the gospel message the solution can can lay that out uh, ultimately the question is going to be so how can we be saved and sometimes people will like if you look at a track a, any bible track that presents a gospel message so if you're comfortable using bible tracks people, when you get asked the invitation say you know i'm just not good at this but i do have a written track here that I thought was pretty cool and explained it to me you want to go through it. So the whole point is get to the point of invitation. Then you can use a track. You can, uh, at that point, pull out your pocket Bible. You can just tell your story. You know? I got to the point at, around a campfire where I clearly understood that I was separated from God and that I was dying and going to hell and that there is one who would save me from that. But why would he? Why would he save me? And then the opportunity was made. And I said yes. That's it. It's that simple. I just told my story. Do you want to say yes? Do you want to know God personally? Well, a relationship starts with with a hello. Let's say hello. And that's what a sinner's prayer is. It's a hello. It's like, God, you know, I don't deserve to even be here but knowing who I am and who you are what you've done for me I desire to be here will you let me in and then you share the assurance of salvation and their their assurance of salvation this is where the Romans Road comes in so if you look at so you want to share one assurance of salvation first right so you go to Romans 10 you go to Verse 13 says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Period. Cap letters. It's that simple. That's, that's evangelism. It isn't being a Billy Graham. It's being a neighbor. It's being a friend. It's being a co-worker. It's being culturally sensitive to understand where people's values are coming from and asking questions about those values. Is that really true? Is it really true that um, it doesn't matter um, whether you have two males together, two females together? It's a classic cultural problem of the day, right? What is the implication of that? What does that really mean? And how come I don't see that elsewhere except for as uh, something abnormal? Why is that not considered normal within culture? Why would we want to make that normal? Right, so I'll start asking the questions about values. And that's when you start running into these personal stories. I mean, yeah, well, you know, my sister When she was growing up, I grew up in this religious family and I went off to uh, Whitworth College and then served in a Presbyterian ministry my sister then decided she wanted to become gay. Am I supposed to throw my sister out because I think that that's wrong? So now you're getting into real life questions. Those are the things you wrestle through at 99% of your time getting up to the gate. It's important to ask the questions because it'll get people to that point where they're asking the real questions about eternal destiny. <laughs> I think I'm talking about. <laughs> you are. Right I'm sorry. I went way over there. <laughs> um, there's a lot. There's a lot here to be said. Um, I've tried to to capture. Um, I'd be glad to send you all of my notes and other things. I I printed out a couple for you, but I have other things uh, that are a whole lot of verses on cultural understanding. American culture, postmodern culture. <coughs> so if you're interested, I can email it to you. <coughs> $10 million dollars right here in we for passing out in Woodland uh, yesterday on the fair mm-hmm. thing, a parade, and it's the track. And it it's says a track. There you Jesus go. Christ, with this other stuff. Yep. But then it says that you, that you say. be yeah. and, and what I would do, <clears throat> I would use a dollar like that after I had shared the gospel with someone. Hey, you know, if you're interested, here's, here's something to remind you. Of. Such that I see things like that as helpful reminders. So you never know where the seeds are going to go. A lot of people planted seeds in my life, watered, did all that stuff before I finally ever came to ask the question. So, what must I do You be Um, Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Mm -hmm. I invite you to either personally ask me or ask me for materials or whatever because this is the most important job that we have. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you for opportunity to try and understand um, each other a little bit better. Those that are lost and uh, the struggles that they have in the world. Lord, which we see and have participated in and Lord, you have pulled us out of that and made us a masters. That you've actually given us a new heart. A heart that um, loves you and desires you. And uh, in that sense, Lord, causes us to uh, be different. Because you've given us a new heart. And Lord, we ask that that would be evident to people without words. Um, such that we would have opportunity for conversation with words that would help us get through the different cultural gates that we can finally um, present the gospel message in a way that can be heard, Lord. Help help give us the opportunities in the words when those moments do come. Lord, I would also ask that uh, as we go through this week, as people are wondering, is this real? Does this really happen? That as they would call upon you for opportunity, that you would blessing with those opportunities and make it so easy and natural that as as the message came to us uh, easily and naturally that it can be heard and lord we just thank you for this we ask that you would uh, use us in your work we thank you for your protection of us your provision for us and lord that you died on the cross and, and serve us so so greatly lord we thank you for all of this in your name we pray lord jesus amen